Hi, this is James Joko, host of Webcomics Reviews and Interviews. Today, we're looking at what they wear. So sit back, relax, and let the Geek Fest begin. One of the big problems with doing character designs is that there is a lot of agreements and disagreements that need to be dealt with. The big problem is, is that if you have a writer and an artist, two separate individuals, these two people are going to have their own opinions on what's going to work. Obviously, if you're somebody working by yourself, you don't have to worry about this and you can skip over the next couple of minutes. But, as far as everybody else is concerned, you need to figure out where the compromise between writer and artist is going to be. The big thing to keep in mind here is that because of this, you have three different schools of character design. Each one of them is pretty much based on the level of freedom that either the writer or the artist has. And that by limiting the freedom of one, you give the other one, well, more restrictions. And the key is to figure out where exactly the compromise needs to be. Because of this, character design comes down to three different schools. Before, after, and during. The before school is essentially where the artist has real freedom and can have all the fun because he gets to design all, all the characters look like, and then the writer has to take those characters and fit them into the actual comic. While this doesn't say that you won't have some sort of revamping of the characters later on, the bottom line is that the artist basically gets to take all the fun of it and just have all the fun and gets to define what the writer does. You see how we're starting right off the bat with a lot of freedom for one, major restrictions for the other? So, the problem with this is that you create characters that, while they look incredibly great, I mean, obviously, the writer's going to take full advantage of any freedom he has. The big problem is that these characters are never going to quite fit into the world in general. It's just simply straight up, nine times out of ten, they weren't designed to. They were designed to look great and fit into the comic second, even if the artist has some very definite terms of what the style is going to look like. It's just, this isn't really all that great for the comic in terms of the long running unless you've got a writer who can actually have some serious fun with it. The after school, on the other hand, basically allows writer maximum freedom, but takes a lot of that freedom away from the artist. That is, the writer gets to do all these really cool world building things, figure out all these really great ways on how the characters work together, and can fit them into the universe really well. He doesn't have to worry about what they actually look like. He just has to worry about making them fit. The problem, of course, that you develop is that the artist has some little freedom in what they actually look like. That, well, you get generally a vanilla fill. I mean, the characters just fit in just way too well with the particular universe. Because of this, this just feels like they've had their edges filed off and... That's never a really great feel for characters. You want them to have a little bit of edge to them. I mean, even if we're dealing with a kid's comic, you want the characters to be a little bit, I don't know, different from each other. And you don't really get that when you have a situation where the artist is designing the characters after the writer's had fun with them. I'm obviously a fan of the third school, the during. What this basically means is that between the artist and the writer, every, the details be of how the actual style of the comic are pretty much hammered out beforehand. That is, between the two of them, they have a general idea of what everything should more or less look like. This allows the artist to go off and have fun with the backgrounds and all the equipment and bases and all that, while the writer can have a little bit of fun with the characters. As the writers are 
develop the characters a little bit more and more, he can send them off to the artist who will then start turning them into actual designs and then send them back to the writer. What this means is that, and the really cool part about that, is that the writer can actually see the characters evolving as they go. And because of that, he can get inspired and make some interesting changes in their character backgrounds and powers and skills to allow for any minor little designs that he actually likes. Because of this, you see a lot more evolution in terms of the characters. I mean, if we're looking at the first two, you know, the first, if the artist has full control, obviously, there's not going to be a whole lot of evolution. I mean, there's going to be a few minor changes from beginning to end, but generally you're going to keep the same designs you started off with. It's just a lot easier that way. On the other hand, you're going to see almost no evolution at the end if the writer is the one in control. That is, you're defining the characters after the writer's had his fun. But if you allow for a certain level of character design during the character building process, you can actually create some really great characters that way. And the really cool part is that, on one hand, they are going to be some really great character designs because at this point the artist still has a lot of freedom on it. At the same time, you're not having the same vanilla fill because the characters, well, obviously aren't going to have a lot of the edges filed off. So for me, the during part is the best uh, school possible. It combines all the great things of the before and the after schools and eliminates a lot of the problems. However, at the same time, we sort of need to consider what these character designs actually look like and how they actually serve the purpose of the overall comic. When it comes down to it, you got to keep in mind there's three basic rules for any particular costume, or in this case, character design, but we're going to call it costume for the rest of the podcast. What we're basically looking at is the costumes have to fit the overall style of the comic. Also, they have to define the character. And three, well, they have to basically figure out who's on which team as easily as possible. Yeah, that third one's going to be all sorts of messed up, but... Think about this for a sec. First off, everybody has to more or less look roughly the same. I mean, even if you have a guy in formals and a guy in a loincloth, they have to have some sort of matching similarities to match the overall comic. Otherwise, it's just there's going to be a jarring element every time one of the two of them shows up, possibly both of them. This is going to take the readers out of your comic and make you them question exactly what's going on here. If you can actually give a reason for the difference in appearance, great. But generally speaking, try to keep everybody pretty much on the same page. You know, if you're doing a highfalutin comic where everybody's rich and powerful, yeah, you're probably going to be heading towards a lot of polo shirts and tuxes. On the other hand, if you're heading towards a little bit the poorer section of the town, so to speak, you're looking more at t-shirts and jeans, and possibly overalls. You know, you need to make everybody look more or less the same. Even though you can have some people look a little bit more stylish and others look a lot less, there has to be some sort of cohesive element in there. This also means that the individual characters have to build their own themes as well as define their own personalities through how they dress. Again, you can have a lot of variation here. Just have a little bit of variation, you know, if I want to do a stylish dress, for example, I'm trying to show somebody who's a fashion maven versus somebody who's a fashion don't, 
it's, you know, going to be showing, one of them is going to have a lot of flowing dresses and the other one's going to have a lot of bows all over the place. It's just straight up. You're going to be able to tell a lot about the character by how they dress and that's exactly how you should be doing it. You know, people don't in the real world don't dress in stuff that they don't like. And that's going to apply to your comics just as much. You know, you're going to have a lot of people who are going to define their character and then they're going to express this in how they dress. If I've got somebody who's a total slob, obviously his shirt tail is going to be out. He's going to be wrinkly. You know, he's going to have a few stains. He's not going to look all that well-dressed, even if he's in a tux. Conversely, if I've got somebody who goes around in the best he can possibly find, then even if he's in nothing more than a t-shirt and jeans, he's still going to look pretty styling. It's just people tend to express themselves in the way they dress, and you have to keep that in mind. This also, of course, means any themes that those characters represent are also going to be present in how they dress as well. Yeah, I know, characters, living symbols. Not a bad thing. And, of course, you've got to find some sort of thematic element to tie in various groups. In comics, it's pretty easy. If I'm dealing with an X-Men character, for example, I know that that's an X-Men because they have some sort of X on their costume somewhere, usually. There are exceptions. But, generally speaking, most X-Men have some sort of an X somewhere on their suit. Conversely, if I put, say, the Justice Society of America up against the Justice League of America, well, the Justice Society is usually going to have a lot more archaic costumes, more wrestling things going on. The boots are going to look more like they were, you know, fashioned at an actual cobbler versus, say, the Justice League, which are going to look a lot more futuristic in comparison. At that point, if I put the two teams together and I have some sort of crossover between a JSA member and a JLA member, yeah, I'm going to tell who's Justice League and I'm going to be able to tell who's Justice Society. It's just some really cool different concepts as far as the characters building goes. Uh, sometimes there's some interesting problems that develop and if I'm trying to show that, for example, all the characters are distinct individuals, that's going to show as well. Uh, consider the original thing of the Defenders, where you had Silver Surfer, Namor, Doctor Strange, and the Hulk. Each one of those three looks visually different than the others, and it actually comes off that well. That in and of itself is the defining trait on that particular team. In a really weird way, the unifying theme on the Avengers is that there really isn't much of a unifying theme. Uh, you basically have the problem. You have all these characters who come from their own individual books and have to work together as a team. Because of that, the lack of an actual unifying theme actually works for that particular group. It demonstrates that even though they are working together as a team, each one of them has their own separate lives beyond the Avengers. So, in that really weird sense, that act, that lack of a unifying theme works out really well for that particular group. So that's just something you need to keep in mind. Is anytime you're going to have groups together, there has to be a way to tell the individual members apart. Even if you have certain characters that are going to you know, be part of two teams, in which case you're going to have some really interesting costumes for that particular person. What's really fun about this is that it allows you as a artist to show that a character is going to betray other people in that team later on. 
you can give some sort of thematic element in that person's clothing that's markedly different than everybody else. It's a subtle thing, sure, and a lot of readers are going to be picking up on it, but it's something you can actually have a little bit of fun with in terms of foreshadowing. This also allows you to have some fun in terms of... Let's say you have a character in a Slice of Life comic that's going to be coming out as gay later on. And you've established that straights and gays have certain different styles when it comes to how they dress. Obviously, if this character is going to be coming out later on, then you can basically have the character dress as one of the straights, but have sort of some of the thematic elements that the gay characters have. Obviously, this is another piece of nice foreshadowing, and again, if you're lucky, some of your readers will catch up on you and spark some interesting conversations in the books. But the bottom line is, is that you can use the costume for your characters to do a lot of work. Not only can you help build a theme, but you can also build in a little bit of foreshadowing. So have some fun with them. Oh, and uh, obviously a subtle point that was made there is, keep in mind that you also have to make your characters ready for whatever particular genre they're in. Obviously, if you're doing a superhero costume, you're going to be doing it entirely different than any sci-fi, or for that matter, a slice-of-life comic. Each one of these has different cues as far as how the characters dress, and sort of allow for that. On top of that, you can also obviously show the individual characters resources. So if you have a character who is, for example, hidden among the rich people, even though the person's poor, some of the cues as far as how they dress are going to pop up there as well. So even though you have a general rich thing going on, having a character who's not necessarily dressing well, maybe possibly even a little bit behind the times, is going to come off as poor, possibly archaic. So that is other little details you can throw in there. But definitely keep in mind that you have to allow for the genre when you're starting to dress your characters. If you have a superhero versus a sci-fi versus a slice-of-life character, well, the character with the slice-of-life is going to be doing a lot of overshirts, t-shirts, and jeans type of deal. On the other hand, a sci-fi person is going to be more of a... Well, it depends on what level of sci-fi. Dystopian versus bright future, for example. You've got bright colors versus dark. Um, Willer versus Leather, so on and so forth. You're going to basically define a lot of that term, genre in terms of how you dress things up. So keep that in mind when you start designing the characters. And with superheroes, spandex and leather. That pretty much sums it up. Sorry, I need to take a step back because I just realized something. Occasionally you're going to have genre-bending elements. If you're doing superheroes and you're doing the great X-Men football game, for example, obviously you're going to be putting these heroes that are generally in out superhero outfits and you're going to all of a sudden put them in regular everyday clothes. You know, you're going to have all these people running around in sweaters, slacks, jeans, t-shirts, what have you, that normally are running around in superhero stuff. But that's because you've shifted genres from doing a straight superhero to doing a straight slice-of-life type situation. So, sort of keep in mind that you can have a little bit of fun with the suits as far as shifting genres. Sometimes you're going to have certain genre elements from one genre in uh, one. Obviously, we're talking superhero and slice of life situation here. When you start having stuff like superheroes going into different time zones, or sorry, sci-fi characters going into different time zones, then you're going to have to allow for that as well. 
The fun part is, is that even when they start taking on the new costumes of whatever particular historical period they're in, a sci-fi character will still stand out from people of that particular era. It just happens that way. So sort of keep that kind of stuff in mind, that you can actually have some fun with it. And you don't always have to keep to a particular genre as far as fashion goes. It's just something you need to keep in mind and have a lot of fun with. Alright, let's look at the colors real quick. And we'll move on to the materials. But I want to look at colors real quick because colors are going to define a lot about your particular comic. What we're basically looking at here is bright, dull, and dark. If you're looking at bright characters, you tend to look at characters that tend to be bright. That tend to be cheerful, fun. They tend to have a lot of humor and we're looking more at swashbuckler type characters. These characters seem to be hard to ignore and definitely going to usually be the center of attention one way or another. It's just that's where all the obvious focus is going to be on. Consider the Batman versus Robin situation. You've got Batman who's dark and brooding and stays in the shadows. And you've got Robin who's pretty much obvious where he's going to be. I mean, you've got some obvious jokes as far as, you know, the boy wonder being a boy target. But it's pretty hard for him not to be because, you know, even in the darkest night, you're going to be able to tell where Robin is. He's the one with the big yellow cape. You know, it's just there's absolutely no missing where the boy Wonder is. This is why a lot of villains have named him the boy Target and usually go after him when they can't find out where Batman is. At that point, they figure if they can go after the boy Wonder, they'll draw out the, the, the Dark Knight. But... The key here is that's just one way of interacting with them. And generally speaking, is that the brighter the character is, you know, you're more per, the more forceful that person's personality is. There's absolutely no hiding that character. And that clothing is going to show that. Even when you have characters like, say, Nightcrawler, who's, you know, one of his abilities actually is to fade into darkness. He's still absolutely impossible to miss nine times out of ten, and he's also the more forceful personality in terms of cheerfulness. He's the swashbuckler of the X-Men, and it's just really hard to miss him when he gets going, which is sort of funny when you realize he's the one who does all the teleporting around, you know? You'd think he'd be a little bit more subtle, but that's the fun of Kurt Wagner. Where he is is pretty easy to find. Same with Kitty Pride. Again, sort of interesting considering her ability works on a subtle level, but again, she's almost always one of the easier characters on the page to find. Again, bright personality, she's a cheerleader. She's trying to make it point that I'm here, we're going to have some fun, we're going to do this, and she's the most positive person in the X-Men, usually. And it shows. Then you've got Jubilee. Brightness can also show a certain degree of naivety. Jubilee is pretty much, or at least used to be, the epitome of the naive character. Her entire point was to be the person that had to be explained because she had so little experience. You know, she'd be the one who'd basically go, wait, who's that? And then you get this quick explanation of who the person is. You know, when you have the bright colors, you want to have that person be basically the student of the group, the person who's either going to be the cheerleader or the person who's going to be the person that's the mandatory info dump. There's going to be some level of naivete about that character and you need to bring that out. Even if that character has a definite dark streak or has a experience a mile wide, 
you're still going to want to draw that character bright because that person is trying to be the center of the group and is trying to do all these really cool things and he needs everybody to see him do them. This can also be the least confident character in the group who has to make up for it and is trying to do it that way. Booster Gold is probably the poster child here. You know, there's absolutely no question that Booster Gold is a great character, but most of that comes from he's really lacking confidence, which is really a weird statement to say when we're talking Booster Gold, but a lot of it comes from him trying to fit into the modern era and not always succeeding. So because of that, he has a certain level of, well, lack of confidence in who he is and what he's doing. Note also that he's also usually the brightest color of all the JLA members. So, of course, with him, you've also got the naivete factor, but, you know, we'll give him the fact he's also got a confidence issue he's working on as well. Conversely, characters who like duller clothing, you know, we're talking more of your darker tans, russets, not necessarily reds, but more towards the ochres. You know, characters that tend to be a little bit more washed out or tend to go towards the darker end of the spectrum, on the other hand, usually tend to be a little bit more, shall we see, taciturn, stoic. They like being in the shadows and everybody likes them there. You know, we don't want to see these people. They tend to be the voice of experience and reason. And these tend to also be the scarier characters. Basically, if a character is dressing up totally in black, they're trying to make some sort of point. And it's sort of a scary one. You know, we're looking at your Batmans here. Conversely, if characters have a little bit of a checkered past, they also tend to like hiding in the background. I don't care if it's sort of subtle. I don't care if it's a little bit on the darker side. Sometimes the fact you can even have them have, like... Look at John Constantine. You know, we're talking somebody who's pretty obvious and... All that, but ironically, that trench coat, even though it's probably one of the brighter colors of the Justice League whenever he's with him, nonetheless helps him hide. And Constantine uses that ability to hide pretty well. But again, we're looking at washed out colors. We're not looking at totally bright colors. When he has a trench coat, it's usually washed out. It's dingy. It's grayish. It's basically not something you'd basically see somebody who's a little bit more peppier wear. You know, Constantine has a lot of miles on him and his wardrobe shows it. It's definitely not pressed. You know what I mean? Because of this, it's important to recognize that when you start having those darker, bitter, more experienced characters, they're going to basically try to do something that puts them hiding. The obvious nature from, obvious example from nature is going to be the female versus male birds. Generally speaking, you've got the male birds who want everybody to see them and enjoy them and hear them and, you know, you can't miss me. And then you've got the female birds who tend to be a little bit duller, more fitting into the background, a little bit more hidden. The bottom line here is that character colors are going to define a lot about the characters. And it gets really fun when you start looking at the characters who also dress up in black and white. That is, they combine some of those duller colors with some of those brighter colors. That's making an interesting point in and of itself. Not only is this going to be a serious character because, well, again, black and white, you know, that's how they view reality. Uh, look at Zatanna, for example. Great character. 
She's basically dressed up as a magician's assistant in, yeah, black and white. Very simple character, very simple philosophy on life. Not saying she's not a complex character, especially considering the events of Identity Crisis. But, nonetheless, a character who basically keeps, tries to keep it real. She's not into subtleties. She's usually not into messing around. We know exactly where she stands on pretty much everything. Sometimes you don't like where she stands, but that's immaterial. The bottom line is, she's a very serious character who has a very definite personality on things. This basically makes the whole black and white thing, you know, something that is going to have a lot of symbolic use. And the really cool part about this is, is it doesn't have to mean literally black and white. As long as you have some sort of dark-light combination going. If, you know, we're looking at some people who do more of a, you know, sort of a pink and dark green type of thing. Okay, yeah, sort of a scary color combination. But you get the idea here. They have some sort of really strong dark element to whatever they're dressing, and the rest of it's pretty much a light color. So sort of allow for that in your character combinations, and you'll be having a lot of fun with it. What's really fun, though, is if you basically realize that your cultural issues are there as well. And you take advantage of that to give a little bit of personality on characters that they've just met. If, for example, you were talking an English comic and you have a character who's wearing predominantly black with just a little bit of white, I mean very little white, then you've got a character who's definitely a bad guy. Conversely, if a character is completely white, it's definitely going to be a good guy. And the fun part is these do not necessarily have to be really bright colors. They can actually be sort of a grayish, dingy, you know, the person has a lot of experience. So, all I'm saying is that white doesn't necessarily have to be a bright color, and it obviously is not going to be showing you necessarily some signs of, you know, virginity or any of those usually traits that you expect to see with a bright color. You have to take a very strong case when you're wearing white, just ask anybody who does laundry, because that's not necessarily going to be a color that's going to be the naive the character, the character has a stand out or anything like that. White can actually disappear into the background quite well, especially if you happen to be dealing with a sterile environment. And that's sort of another point with black and white, is that those characters can necess- can be very vibrant characters. They just tend to be very well-defined. So keep that in mind. You know, basically when it comes down to it, bright characters are going to, when we're looking at your reds, your yellows, your blues, your primary colors that are just stand out, oh my gosh, I can't miss this color anywhere. These are going to be basically your cheerleader types, your more cheerful types, the type that you cannot miss anywhere on the page. Characters who go more for your darks, your more dull colors are going to be more of a adult type character. It's going to be more taciturn, more scary, more serious. Conversely, if you have characters who do the black and white thing, at that point, they're not necessarily all that naive. They're probably actually probably one of the more bitter characters, but they're definitely going to have a very definite approach on how they do things. So sort of keep that in mind. There's also going to be the material that these costumes are made out of. And the fun part about this is that you're going to find characters in pretty much any genre that are going to be wearing tight-fitting clothes versus more leathery clothes. And, of course, there's going to be those that are sort of in between. 
First off, let's look at spandex. Spandex is sort of fun because while we tend to associate with superheroes and sci-fi characters to a degree, it doesn't necessarily mean that those are going to be the sole limitation on it. Obviously, if you're doing a character who is a fitness instructor in a Slice of Life comic, yeah, they're going to be wearing a lot of spandex too. Same with a lot of basic wrestlers and a lot of athletes. The bottom line is pretty much anybody who leads a really active lifestyle who's got real confidence in themselves is going to be wearing spandex. Spandex is also going to be something you're going to see characters that are going to be more, shall we say, more youthful in terms of their appearance or in terms of their outlook. You know, I don't care if you've got an 85-year-old granny. If she's wearing spandex, it's definitely going to be somebody who's thinking she's like 18, 25. You know, this is somebody with a very positive, very youthful outlook on her life. On her life. And keep in mind that when we start looking at spandex, we're not necessarily looking at necessarily specifically something you'd see in a unitard. We're just looking at somebody who tends to wear a lot of clothes-fitting fits. You know, we're looking at people who, say, wear muscle shirts, for example, or that that German serving maid, you know, the one with the low-cut dress. Yeah, once you start seeing that sort of thing, you're definitely seeing somebody with some definite confidence. I mean, it, it applies pretty much everywhere. We're going to see this in dancers. We're going to see this in models. We're going to see these in people that want to make an appearance and have something to make an appearance for. So you're going to see these people definitely show up all over the place in pretty much every genre. I don't care if we're looking at flamenco dancers. We're looking at gymnasts. You know, Generally speaking, if somebody who's more positive has a little, considers themselves athletic or has an athletic build and definitely has some serious confidence in who they are is going to be wearing something that's a little bit more, well, tighter fitting than somebody who's having some confidence issues or isn't proud of their body or has reasons not to be proud of their body. You know, if you're trying to act obscure and all that, you're probably not going to be wearing the tightest fitted clothes on the planet. You're going to tend towards the looser ones. And then, of course, there's leather, which gets all sorts of fun in and of itself. Leather is, shall we say, a little bit more complicated. The problem is, is that with leather, you have everybody who pretty much wants to be a rebel to actually who is a rebel. And yeah, we all know there's a difference there. If you're looking at somebody who wants to be a rebel, they're going to tend toward, more towards Naga Hide part of the spectrum versus somebody who's a little bit more bitter, who really doesn't really care about life and who's going to be going more towards the dark leather type. You know, we're a little bit shiny, a little bit dull. What did we say about bright versus dark, dull colors earlier? Yeah, it applies definitely to leather. Where spandex is going to be bright and cheerful, leathers tend to be a little bit more dark and mysterious. The fun part, though, is that you have a lot of characters who wear leather who definitely know is going to be going out of that phase. We're talking some of your punk rockers, for example who not only tend to wear the leather, but also tend to wear some really brightly colored mohawks. Leather is also going to be worn by your more violent characters. This is because of the perceived thing that, well, if you stain leather with blood, those stains aren't going to show up as much. It's just straight up. You see somebody in leather, they've got a little bit of a muscularity to them. That person is obviously there for violence and is probably pretty good at it. Yeah, it's just straight up, nothing says violence like a good weather, leather outfit. Because of this, leather is something you see on terms of gangsters and 
other people that generally tend to be a little bit more intimidating. They're taking advantage of what they're wearing to basically hide the fact that, well, not necessarily hide, but they are basically trying to wear an actual uniform that says, beware of me. So if you got somebody who's trying to put on ears, probably leather is actually probably a good way to go. I mean, it's just a really great way of saying, it's, like you said, leather tends to be a little bit more complicated because you've got people who take advantage of the intimidation factor that it has without necessarily being intimidating themselves. you got a 15-year-old who's totally unproven, who's trying to basically make it look like he's big, bad, and tough, put him in a leather jacket. Easiest way to do it. Trust me, after, and make sure that the leather jacket doesn't fit too well. Remember what we said about clothes that tend to be a little bit baggy? Yeah. Here's where you start seeing a lot of that come into fruition in terms of clothes to find the person. So, when you start looking at how a character is dressed, you know, you're going to be seeing a lot of fun stuff there. And part of that, of course, is looking at the material of the clothes. Last but not least, let's look at the denim people who tend to be a little bit more relaxed, a little bit more outgoing. That's because, again, we associate denim to a certain degree with people who are somewhat confident, not incredibly confident, but definitely a little on the confident side, possibly to the point of, well, being braggadocio. You know, we're looking at your teenagers here. People who basically charge into things without necessarily thinking it through. That kind of confidence. And denim is actually pretty good for that because let's get real. A lot of the few laces we associate denim with are exactly those kind of people. In fact, it comes from minors. And let's get real. Pretty much nobody goes into a situation without thinking it all the way through more than a minor does. Especially if we happen to be looking at a horror comic. Isn't that great? So, when we start having some fun with it, Spandex and leather can actually say a lot about a person in terms of their confidence, what level of violence they're going to be dealing with, and generally, preppy attitude. What gets really fun is when you start combining the two. I mean, if you have somebody who's in tight-fitting leathers, yeah, that's somebody you're simply not going to want to mess with. At that point, you know the person has the confidence because of the tightness of clothing, you know the person is a violent character because of the leather, and generally they tend to dress that way for a very good reason. You know, they're not necessarily trying to be intimidating. It just happens to be a side factor. So, you know, it's just little things like that that you need to keep in mind when you start looking at character design. And, of course, they're going to might as well bring in the nudity factor. I mean, it is a type of costume, even though it's more of a non-costume. If somebody's wearing pretty much nothing, for the clarify here, we don't have to necessarily be totally naked. Heck, we can be in a pair of boxers and a t-shirt. You know, we're still covering a lot of flesh, but at the same time we've got this person down to their, well, bare brief, so to speak. These kind of characters tend to be very I want to say hard on the sleeve. Basically, you know exactly where these people stand on pretty much everything. Going back to Zatanna, for example, you'll notice that even though she's very well dressed from the waist up, she almost always is in her fishnets. At that point, we've got somebody who clarifies this comes part into the nude note, nude trope. The key here is that Zatanna, we know where she stands. 
You know, there's absolutely no question where she stands on pretty much anything she says. And if we start looking at people that tend to go around in terms of, you know, running around naked or close to it, like, say, the Hulk or Namor, we've got people that are very, this is exactly what I mean when I say it. There's absolutely no question. And if you have a question, you just aren't really listening. You know what I mean? Because of this, we have people who tend to do all the dreaded nude stuff and the exercise stuff and all this because they're actually very confident in who they are. It's not necessarily because they're trying to show off. It's just straight up. They're they're basically, they're not hiding anything. They're bearing everything. And if you're not listening to them, it's going to show. I mean, there's never a question of what the Hulk says when he means stuff. And you may not be able to understand half of what Namor says because he tends to do the whole Shakespearean thing by total accident, I hope. Nonetheless, when he says something, there's absolutely no question that he means it and he's going to stand by it. And he just gave you his word on something. In essence, when you start looking at a naked person, you're looking at somebody who's not only very active, but also very honorable. They may not necessarily be great people. They may be down and out evil, but they're still relatively honorable people. Even when you start looking at, say, a 16-year-old who's running, who for some bizarre reason tends to be running around in his briefs and his T-shirt, that's still somebody who's going to be pretty much saying exactly what they mean. And they're going to be trying to be as honorable as possible. They may not be succeed at it all that often. Again, being 16, but doesn't mean that they aren't going to give it the best shot. Because of this, you've got this really cool situation that even as spandex or any type clothing shows that you have a confident person, that doesn't necessarily mean that this is a person you should be trusting. Conversely, if somebody's running around naked or with a shirt off a lot, that's probably a person you can probably get away with trusting. And it's sort of fun when you try to invert that trope a little bit and actually make that person the least trustworthy there. It just doesn't usually come off that well. Last but not least, let's look at accoutrements. We're looking at your jewelry, your glasses, your watches. We're looking at all the other fun stuff that, well, people wear that tends to help define who they are and helps define certain looks. We're even looking at the hair colors and hairstyles. If you've got a character who's got... You know, he's wearing normally a lot of black and white stuff, and he has a really big poofy hair. That's going to say a lot about that particular character. You know, this is a character you can take very seriously, who's probably not going to lie to you, and who's obviously what he seems, but has a certain flamboyance about them as well. Keep in mind that just because a character tends to be flamboyant, they don't necessarily have to be gay. And just because a person lacks flamboyance doesn't mean they have to be straight. But that's a side issue in and of itself. What we're looking at is that characters tend to take on a lot of interesting stuff in terms of their jewelry that helps define them as well. If you have a character with a, a prominent pinky ring, for example, this is a character you're not going to want to mess with. Some people who wear pinky rings are generally very tough characters, even if they may not look it. If you've got somebody who's wearing dangly earrings... This is somebody who cares more about their appearance than pretty much everything else. They've taken time out to find the biggest earrings they possibly could, and they really don't care who sees it. Obviously, this is a confident person, but 
may not necessarily be a combat character. I mean, let's get real. If you've got a character with certain sort of long hair, they're probably not going to be heavily into combat, despite what you may see in a lot of martial arts movies. Long hair being a weakness, for example. Conversely, if you've got somebody with long hair who is a warrior, well, look at the Klingon example of beards. You know, that's... Go ahead and yank my beard, and I really don't care if you get shot at it. That tells me exactly where you are, and that gives me a shot to kill you right then and there. Even if you think you've got me positioned, I've still got you. You know? You start looking at a lot of other stuff that people tend to wear. Like glasses, for example, tend to be in characters that tend to be a little bit shy, a little bit bookish. You tend to associate intelligence with glasses. But that's because traditionally, people who deal with books a lot, who tend to read, also have poor eyesight. Or at least poor eyesight after like about 10-15 feet. In fact, it's almost comical considering how thick some of those glasses get. Consider something as simple as cufflinks. If a character has a prominent set of cufflinks, especially if they're monogrammed, that person is telling you a lot about who they are and they don't really care. That is more confidence boost than anything else because most people, when they do cufflinks, try to keep those as hidden as possible. If If you really want to see an interesting character development thing, Look at a guy's watch. General rule is, the richer a guy is, the more metallic that watch is going to be. Conversely, the younger the guy is, in terms of mentality, the more rubbery that watch is going to be. And more importantly, the more digital that watch is going to be. This is sort of why people tend to make fun of Dick Tracy, is because he's got that basically really cool scientific watch. Well, it looks great, it's very practical, but doesn't really do anything for the character, ironically enough. You know, if we're talking like a 10, 12-year-old kid, they're going to be wearing a rubber-banded digital watch. If they're a little bit of a geek, they may have a calculator attachment to that. Yeah, there actually were digital watches that actually had calculators on top of them. And it helps define the character. Just as much as, say, if the character has a metal watch or a leather watch. A leather watch is going to be somebody who's definitely going to be outdoors, who's really adventurous, who basically needs a watch that's not only loose fitting, but can actually be strapped down pretty easily. On the other hand, if they have more of a metallic watch, like a Rolex, at that point you've got somebody who does a lot more office work than he does anything else. He can afford to have a watch that, quite frankly, doesn't have to worry about exposure. A person with a leather watch, you know, the really thick leather band. At that point, you've got somebody who needs something that's going to be able to take weather and sun. If somebody's wearing a Rolex, yeah, this is obviously somebody who's dealing with a lot of air condition more than anything else. It's just straight up. It's just, if somebody has a Rolex, it's more of a businessman who doesn't really care about activity. He can't afford spurious activities like going off and adventuring. Now, really fun part is look where the watch face is as well. If you have somebody who basically keeps the watch on the top of the hand, you know, away from the palm, that's somebody who basically does a lot of writing or typing. They, at that point, they can just really glance at the watch as they're doing whatever else they're doing. Generally speaking, that's somebody who's efficiency-based. On the other hand, if you have somebody who tends to keep the watch face 
it's more towards the palm of the hand where they can actually see it just if they flip it over that's going to be somebody who's going to be a little bit more practical they're doing something with their hands a lot and they're doing they need to keep their palms a little bit more protected than normal because that they're also going to keep the watch face protected as well so it's just little things like that. I mean, when you start looking at the people in the military, for example, you tend to notice that the watch faces tend towards the palm of the hand side. That's because they tend to, that's just because it's a lot easier to handle that way and also make sure that the glint of the watch won't be seen from a distance. It's easy to hide in that way as well as very quickly look at and then cover up again. Little things. When you start looking at how your character is designed, you're going to notice really quick that little subtle things make a huge difference. And that's something you need to keep in mind during all stages of the character design phase. When you start having fun with the characters and just going full bore at it, yeah, the costume is going to be the absolute defining trick. That's going to help you set up a little bit of foreshadowing. It's going to set up who's on which team, who's possibly going to betray the team or join another team. It's just you can tell a lot about the person in terms of what social standing they have, how much money they have, and other details just by how they dress. So when you're finally coming up and deciding what the character actually looks like, then you need to basically take a step back and have some fun with it. And this is exactly how you do it. Details matter. So have some fun with the character design. If you like this and you find these tips definitely available, hey, check me out over Patreon. Uh, Patreon slash Two Sparrows. It has a lot of extra tips available, has a lot more fun, and occasionally has some weird stuff. Other than that, have a great day and I'll talk to you later.